Today, uh, we're concluding our sermon series that has taken us through the new year called Loving Others, the Art of Welcoming. How do we welcome others into our lives with God's love, just as Jesus has welcomed us and invited us into God's kingdom with His love? We've looked at how we love our neighbors across the street and across the hallway in our homes. We've looked at how we love those within our community, and we've looked at how we love those in our church family. Today, we want to ask the question, how does God call us to love others within our world? Uh, those who may be half a world away, how are we to love others we encounter, when we encounter others from different cultures and different traditions and different ways of life and seeing the world? How do we love others? Because Christ came because God so loved the what? The world. And if we're to follow this Christ, we have to love the world too. I remember beginning to struggle with what it meant to love the world. I wouldn't have put it in that language, but I began to struggle with it when I was a small child. My parents taught me basic, good Christian teaching, uh, and they, they taught me to share. They taught me to care about others. They taught me to listen to others. That one was more difficult. Uh, they they, they taught me these basic things and, and they raised me in the church and they exposed me to Jesus' teachings. Jesus who says, if you have two coats, give one away to the one who doesn't have any. And I live in a house uh, where I complain about not being able to find a coat because there are too many crowded into the closet. Uh, I, I, I was exposed to Jesus' teaching that says, if someone asks you to carry their pack one mile, carry it two and I was raised in a family where if somebody didn't have something they needed, you made sure they got it. And then I, I got into school and I learned about the ways of the world and the affairs of nations. Uh, and uh, I learned about tariffs and trade uh, and wars. And I began to see and question, uh, could this teaching that I'd received about how we're supposed to treat one another, could it actually apply on a global scale or is that impossible when it comes to the affairs of nations? I still wonder these questions. I don't have them all figured out. There are many things about the affairs of peoples in our world that I haven't the slightest clue how to solve. But I know there's one who does. And I know there's one whose ways are above our ways. And whose thoughts are much higher than my thoughts. But I did come to see how this one is at work throughout the world. And I did so without having to travel very far away. I was pastoring a church. And at that church, we hosted uh, an Alcoholics Anonymous group. When I was new to the church, I decided I would attend a session because it was an open session uh, where those who didn't struggle with alcoholism were allowed to attend as long as you kept your mouth shut. Uh, my wife thought, thought this would be a good experience for me. <laughs> so I went uh, simply to let the folks in that group know uh, that there was a pastor at the church who supported them, who loved them, uh, and who would do anything he could uh, to help their group continue to meet and continue to grow for all who needed it. Uh, well, I sat down and I began to listen. Uh, and I listened uh, to how people had struggles and I listened to how people had unhealthy coping mechanisms. And I listened to the damage and destruction those unhealthy coping mechanisms often caused in their lives. And that whole time since I couldn't talk, I was forced to think. 
And all I could think was, they're just like me. They're just like me. Same fears, similar struggles, deep down, different symptoms. I happen to have unhealthy coping mechanisms that are easier to hide, that don't cause the same amount of destruction. But those fears, the basic disease they were struggling with wasn't alcoholism. It was sin and it was fear. And I recognized that same disease in my life. And I just couldn't get it out of my head. We're we're all the same. Deep down, we've got different symptoms, but the same disease. Uh, We've got different lives, but the same heart deep down. You see, we shouldn't be surprised to find that because we're told we were created in Christ's image. And what I have found is that it's easy to see Christ in saints, but it takes a saint to see Christ in sinners. If you want to love the world, if you want to love the people in your family, you need to be able to see Christ in sinners, but it's not as easy as we might expect. And particularly when we look across our world and when we look at other cultures, sometimes we see the way their culture is just different than ours. Maybe neither right nor wrong, but just different. I remember one time going to the Midwest and hearing someone say uh, that they ordered their tea the way God intended it, unsweet. And I said, I don't know that I want much to do with you. We can simply be sometimes offended and put off by uh, cultural differences that, that are not right or wrong. They're, they're, they're just different. Uh, and then sometimes we can be put off by the fact that some cultures don't follow the way of Jesus, the way we think Jesus calls us to live. But I want to let you know, nowhere in the Bible does it say that those who have not accepted Christ are expected to follow Christ. What we find is those who have not accepted Christ, that the Bible says they have a Christ who is desperately pursuing them. And in this Christ's desperate pursuit, he has called his followers to join him, not to stand back at a distance and to point their fingers and to say, aha, you awful people, we are so much better than you. The New Testament is full of people who did that. They're called Pharisees and it doesn't come out well for them in the New Testament. Every time I get up to speak to you, I remember that Jesus' harshest words were for religious professionals. But what did Jesus do? Jesus calls his followers and he forms them in this thing called church. And he says, I want to send you out to Jerusalem, to Judea, and to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth, to these people who have never heard of me. These people, some of whom will crucify you the same way they crucified me, but I want you to go, and I don't want you to go to conquer them. I don't want you to go to impose taxes upon them. I don't want you to to go uh, to make sure that you take all their raw materials for your factories. I want you to go to show them how I love them and to teach them of my love. That's my plan. And the world got to know itself much better, not through, in many ways, the the conquering armies, but through the Christian missionaries who took up this call, who spent years studying languages and cultures just so they might plant a seed. 
that one day uh, might help the people of that culture accept the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Don't expect others who haven't accepted Christ to follow his ways, but expect him to call you to love them. Expect him to call you to pursue them because all he's ever done is pursue you. All he's ever done is pursue me. In the strangest places, he pursues us. One morning, I was driving to church. It was Sunday, and I was preparing to preach, and I didn't want to go. I was exhausted, and I was wondering how I was going to go through the motions, how I was going to come up with something to say and smiles to give, not because I didn't care, not because I didn't believe, but I just didn't know where the strength and the energy was going to come from that day. And I turned the radio station to a Christian station. And it was a station often uh, with uh, music uh, that helped me connect to God. And I heard the music that morning, and it was not something uh, that immediately thrilled my soul. Uh, the song that came on, and I was just hoping just for that right song that would put me in that right mindset. And I just heard the introduction to that song. And let me tell you, it wasn't like the introduction to worship we got from our orchestra this morning. The style of that song, I think, could best be described as a cross between twangy country and disco. It was awful. It was so horrible. Uh, it, it sounded like uh, some type of cheap kid song uh, you'd hear at a merry-go-round. And I, I, almost, I almost turned the dial. Uh, in fact, I, I, I did turn the dial. Uh, and then I heard the language used on the other station I turned it to. And it, it guilted me into turning it back since I was going to church. And it, to this day, I will tell you, that song was horribly written from a musical standpoint. But I listened to the words. And the words of that song were exactly what I needed to hear what that song talked about was about all the times uh, we'd become so caught up in our own lives that we couldn't see God, we couldn't feel God, and how all God ever did in those moments was pursue us. And there I was driving to church, wondering how I could act like I cared. And a moment later, I had tears coming down my face because of how much God cares for us and how God pursues us and how God knows exactly what we need in each moment. He knows when our spirits are tired and he knows when they're, they're overly enthusiastic. He, he knows uh, when we are ready to give up and he knows when we're running headlong somewhere we shouldn't go. He knows when we need encouragement to keep on doing what we're doing and he knows when we need somebody to yell, stop. Just stop before you hurt yourself or someone else. And he keeps on pursuing us. I hope you will pursue him each day. I hope you will seek to become sensitive to the ways he is pursuing you. And there's no better way than by reading your Bible. 
and praying. We have a Bible reading plan, and we have a new plan coming out for Lent. As you know, this Wednesday is not just Valentine's Day. Uh, By the way, gentlemen, we have an Ash Wednesday service here at church, so I would encourage you, take your uh, special someones out to dinner on Tuesday, and it will be cheaper And you can come to Ash Wednesday service at 6.30 on Ash Wednesday. Or if you must go out on Ash Wednesday, come to the noon service here in the sanctuary. But we have a new Bible reading plan for Lent. We think it will bless you. Pick one up at the information station. Get it at concordunited.org slash Bible. If you don't already, sign up for the daily devotionals. Make that a practice within your life. Also, if you're wondering how to pray, You'll find that we have set out, we have blue prayer booklets, and it will teach you all the major ways of praying. Many of you have received these and carry them around. If you don't have one, please grab one on your way out. It's just a simple instructional guide. None of us are experts in prayer. It helps us get started. Also, I want you to know in Lent, we often are asked to give something up. And as a church this year, we're going to be asking you to give something up together. And I have some very depressing news for you today. Because some of you know what you're giving up. And you're ready because you do it each year. We are not asking you to give up chocolate. (laughs) If you decide to give, I mean, I know people who give up chocolate and they tell me how proud they are about giving up chocolate while munching on a Twizzlers. (laughs) I want you to know not impressed. (laughs) We are asking you to join in the historic Christian tradition of fasting on Fridays. And we are asking you, particularly if you are healthy enough and able enough, to fast until three o'clock on Friday. That is the tradition uh, within Christianity because Jesus was on the cross until three o'clock. And Jesus taught us to fast as we pray. Some of us have never experimented with this before. And, we'll, and if you have health issues, take those into consideration, modify as you need. Uh, some people with health issues, uh, particularly those, uh, some who exercise very hard in the morning uh, and need to replenish their body, uh, or some uh, who uh, struggle with keeping their blood sugar where they, they, it needs to be. Uh, some find that they can fast from nine to three, the hours Jesus was on the cross. All, that's, that's just uh, waiting a while for lunch, right? But it's not what we do. Some people can fast all day and not eat again until Saturday. It, it's not how tough we are on ourselves. It's are we giving something up so that we can pursue God So we encourage you to do that. And as we pursue God today by asking how we can love others in our world, I want to share with you a scripture from James 1, verse 19. You've probably heard it before. And I don't know of one that helps us love others, particularly love others that we don't entirely understand better. It says this, You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. If we could do this, to be quick to to listen and then slow to speak and even more importantly, slow to anger. How different our lives and our relationships might be. But what we find is that the first act of love is indeed to listen. But if you're going to love other people by listening, it's important what you listen for. Because particularly with others who come from different cultures or different ways of life, 
often what we have is we have a negative stereotype. And what we listen for is confirmation of our negative stereotype. Psychologists call this confirmation bias. That you tend to hear what you want to hear. So that you can think what you want to think. And when you hear things that you don't like, that don't confirm what you already think, uh, you get what's called a case of cognitive dissonance. It just means the information you're being given doesn't square with the opinion you already have. And we as humans hate it. And we'll do anything to get away from it. We'll, we'll change the ca- channel. We'll cut off the conversation. And we'll simply tell ourselves, well, uh, that's not really right. I, I know what's really right. I know how those people really are. We, we listen for that. But I want to ask you to begin to listen for something else. Not a confirmation of your bias, but I want to ask you to begin to listen for the character of Christ in others. It might be small, it might be hard to perceive, but what we're told, if, if we claim as uh, we say that, that we believe this Bible teaches us the truth of God, then in the very beginning, it says we are created in the image of God. It doesn't say uh, people in our neighborhood alone are created in the image of God, in our family alone, in our denomination alone, in our religion alone, in our country alone, uh, in our political perspective alone. It says we, all, everyone is created in the image of God And what we believe is that if you are created in the image of God, even as far as you might stray and go from that image, that image still exists in you. You cannot entirely erase the image of God from your life. God has not given you that power and no one else has that power either. And there are some people in this world who it is difficult to love. We we know those people, but they have not erased the image of God. So the next time you're around one of those people, Listen for the character of Christ. Try to set aside all the things that confront and offend you and listen for the character of Christ. Because once you've seen the character of Christ, it's impossible not to continue loving. For Star Wars fans, we call this Darth Vader grace. Luke believed there was still good in Darth Vader. Obi-Wan Kenobi did not. We choose Luke. We, we believe he was correct. If you're not a Star Wars fan, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry for sharing that illustration. I'm just sorry that you haven't realized what you're missing. Now, let's continue to uh, try to learn what it means to, to love others across our world and throughout our lives. Uh, we're going to, to shift uh, to another letter written to the early Christians uh, who, again, We're going through this world where they were often persecuted, where they were often trying to share Christ with those who didn't just want to not hear it, not ascribe to it, but who actively wanted to harm them. This is what the first letter of John says, picking up with the fourth chapter, the 12th verse. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. This, this is what we know. By this we know. By this we know Christ is in us that we love like he loved us. That we pursue others with his love 
like he pursues us. I want you to know you don't have to understand someone to love them, but you do have to try, right? Every one of us in a marriage knows you'll never entirely understand somebody else. And when you look across the world, there are people you won't understand much at all about. You don't have to entirely understand someone, but you do have to try to understand them, to to love like Christ loved us. And one of the things when you look at others and when you try to understand them, often particularly with those who have diametrically opposed views to ours or who we think have diametrically opposed views to our views, what we find is we look at them and we say, now those people, now they're, you know what motivates them? Hate. They're they're motivated by hate. They don't like others. They want to put themselves above others and they get their pleasure out of hurting others. Uh, This is true within the political divisions of our country. Often when they uh, interview people who think one way or think another, they'll say, how do you think about the folks who think this way? And they'll say, well, uh, you know, I, I think they hate. I think they hate this group of people. I think they hate this way of life. And you hear that on both sides. But do you know when we see people who engage in uh, particularly uh, publicly uh, saying derogatory things about other groups, uh, maybe political groups, maybe ethnic groups, maybe religious groups, do you know what motivates those people for the most part? Uh, Hate's a byproduct. What motivates them is fear. That's what motivates them. And I imagine for us sometimes in our own political views, we find ourselves motivated by fear. We find ourselves not wanting to consider other opinions which could be different from our own. We find ourselves wanting to write people off. And I imagine sometimes in our personal opinions of others, we, we feel the same way. We allow ourselves to be motivated by fear. Well, fear sometimes can be a good warning sign but it's a deadly motivation. And we're told about that a little later in the fourth chapter of 1 John. I want to share with you these words picking up with the 18th verse. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not reached perfection. We love because God first loved us. We love because God first loved us. There is no fear in love because perfect love, it casts out fear. It casts out fear in favor of something much better. And in fact, if you're living a life that's based on fear, there, there's really only one thing that can cast it out, and that's love. I, I wanted to do more research on this, on how love works. And so I, I went to the, the great library known as Google. And I typed in love, the cure of fear. And I waited to see what would come up. And I expected that most of what would come up would come up sermons. Now, the first thing that came up was this passage. Do you know the second thing that came up? An article from Psychology Today by a PhD in psychology whose faith I am unaware of, uh, who does not mention faith in their article, but who says the only thing we find that can conquer fear is love. Secular research confirms the way God created our world and the gift God has given us in love. That it's, it's the only thing. You see, 
Fear keeps us building up our own silos, protecting what we have at the expense of keeping others out and not being concerned about their affairs. Love teaches us to share our treasure. And I want to ask you, what's, what's our greatest treasure? Often in this part of the world, we, we think it's our monetary resources. And they are a treasure. And they're, they're a treasure that God has given us and God has told us it's very important how we handle those. That we are good stewards, that we are generous, that we use those for the betterment of our world. But they'll never be our greatest treasure, right? What's our greatest treasure? It's the God who has encountered us and the relationship that God has given us. And that's the greatest treasure we have to share. That's why here at the church, when we are in ministry globally, we find uh, that what's most important for us is, yes, we go. And yes, we try to help in sustainable, healthy ways in those cultures that don't have the resources we have. But we do so in a manner that builds relationships and that shares faith. It's why we go back to the same villages in Guatemala. We don't just pick a location that we think our church each year would have a number of people who were interested in taking a vacation to while doing some volunteer work. We pick a community that we can form deep relationships of mutual gift giving with so that we can share not just the treasures our money makes possible, but so we can share the greatest treasure. Remember the early disciples? Uh, in the days just after Jesus' death and resurrection, they were going to the temple to pray. And a beggar said, can I, can I have a coin? They said, no, we, we don't have that to give you. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be right. But what we do have, we, we give you. Get up and walk. And he was healed. They gave him a greater gift. We always realize that there are greater gifts. And there is this God who gives us this gift when we stay and we look at one another. I once, about two, I guess two, roughly two decades ago, I was in a room and it was during the second, right at the beginning of the second Iraq war. And in the room, there were leaders from all over the world of Methodism. And they were coming together to say, how can we pray for this situation? How can we guide our people to pray? And I was in the room with a congresswoman from Indiana. And I was in the room with the bishop of Baghdad. And they were coming at this situation from very different perspectives. And yet what they covenanted with one another is that they would pray for each other. And they would pray for each other's countries. And they would seek Christ within this situation. Uh, I recognize that there are so many things in this world that we can't solve even with the best of our intentions. Uh, but we are called to believe in the God who makes the impossible possible. And this God who sends us uh, to cast out fear with love. Some of you uh, years ago... Uh, got to hear Jeff Burns when he came and speak, spoke at one of our men's events. Uh, Jeff was a pastor of a large Baptist church in North Carolina when 9-11 occurred. And when it occurred, he said that for the first time in his life, he really experienced hatred in his heart. And he said this hatred continued to build and build. And it, it began with the people and particularly uh, the group that organized the attacks 
but eventually it spread to all Muslims. And he said that he was offered the chance by leaders in his local community. They said, we're, we're finding that hatred and division in our local community is building. Uh, we're trying to organize a prayer service between Christian, Jewish, and Muslim leaders. Uh, would, uh, would you pray? Would you be a part of that communal prayer service? And he said, no. No, I won't. I don't want anything to do with that. I, I don't want to pray with these people. I hate those people. And this hatred built and built and built. And these people in this prayer service were persistent and they kept coming to him and they kept saying, Jeff, our community needs you. Jeff, we're trying to prevent violence in our community. You could make a difference. And he kept saying no. And so he went to a coffee shop with his Bible and he he got his Bible out and he said he was intentionally reading the passages of his Bible, uh, which confirmed his opinion that he didn't need to go to this prayer service. Because if you know your Bible well enough, you can pick and, you can pick and choose a little bit and uh, it, it can help you. Kind of like uh, when somebody asks you to do your chores, if a child's savvy enough, they'll quote scripture and say, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> he was picking and choosing verses just like that. And then this little boy came over and tapped on his leg and said, do you like to read? I just learned to read. And he looked at the little boy and he said, yes, I do. And he looked at the little boy's mother and he noticed she was Muslim. Uh, And the little boy said, can I read something for you? And the mother came over and said, don't bother this man. Uh, She could tell he was reading a Bible and she said, don't, don't, don't bother this man. This man is, is reading. He, he doesn't want to talk to you right now. Uh, and she uh, nodded politely to, to Jeff and she began to lead her little boy away. And Jeff said something in his soul that caused some words to come out of his mouth that he didn't even want to come out of his mouth. And he said, no, no, please. I'd enjoy talking to him. And he came over and he was so excited to share something he was reading with Jeff And uh, then he asked Jeff if uh, Jeff knew the the Aramaic alphabet. And Jeff said no. And he laughed at Jeff. He said, how do you not know the Aramaic alphabet? I'm I'm five years old. Let me teach you. And he sat down and he taught him. And he taught him how to spell his name. His name was, was Omar. And something happened in Jeff's heart that day. Uh, and Jeff walked out of that coffee shop and he called and he said, I will, I will be a part of the prayer service because I can't hate Omar because I refuse to hate him because I didn't want anything to do with him, but he wanted something to do with me. And Jeff eventually felt an ongoing call from God to become an international peacemaker. And so he travels around the world and he's called into some of the most difficult situations in the world, particularly in religious conflicts. And he describes himself as a peacemaker in the way of Jesus. And through helping people of different religions put down their guns and their bombs, he's had the opportunity to share with heads of state, uh, with generals, and with thousands of people across our world the teachings of Jesus and the difference Jesus makes. He's had prayers with leaders in countries uh, that would never publicly be able to admit it 
but he's prayed with them in private that Christ might guide their lives because of what, what they've learned from him. He's led people uh, both to accept Christ and to find peace because God showed him how to love as God has loved us. That's all the scriptures ask us to do. We're not asking you today to do any more than that. Simply love as Christ has loved us and how different this world will be. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for the goodness of your love that pursued us when we had no intention of pursuing you. Teach us to pursue others with this love that leads us to your glory, your kingdom, your heaven. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.